Hey guys, welcome and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Martel. My guests today are co-authors of the best-selling book, High Heels, How Two Women Found Their Footing in the Medical Cannabis Industry, which chronicles their personal medical and entrepreneurial journey from best friends and suburban bombs to vocal advocates for shifting the paradigm and narrative on medical cannabis. They're the owners of the Greenhouse Wellness Dispensary in Maryland, Dr. Leslie Apgar and Gina Dubay, welcome to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. You know, it's very, very interesting and unique that you find a a dispensary owned by two women in this business. You guys are are really kind of uh, charting a a course that um, has not been that well charted before, and you're doing very, very well. You know, what brought, let let me start with you, Dr. Apgar. Let's start by talking about what's your background in medicine? So I'm a board certified OBGYN, Montel, and I grew up in the Seattle area. So I was exposed to lots of alternative forms of healing from an early age. But I went the traditional route where I went to a Western medical school and and got that traditional training. And what I found as I went into practice is that I was increasingly dissatisfied. My patients were asking for a pill to cure this, a a pill to cure that. And I wasn't actually getting to the root of illness and creating wellness. And it just seemed like I was continuously putting Band-Aids on problems. So really, I was looking for a better way to heal. And quite inadvertently, a patient brought up the opportunity for a bid in the state of Maryland as they were rolling out their medical program. And that conversation with that patient led to a conversation with Gina, because Gina's got the venture capital background and the financing capabilities. And she's just a super smart entrepreneur and a business owner. And so that conversation didn't go very well with the investment guys out in California. And we were um, disenchanted to say it nicely. And so we decided, well, Gina decided, honestly, let's just do it ourselves. And I was really terrified at that moment because I was going to have to leave the practice of traditional medicine. My medical degree was on the line. I was afraid that, you know, gosh, this isn't um, sanctioned. I'm in uncharted waters. I didn't even know cannabinoid system was. It had never been taught in medical school. So it was a big leap of faith. I trusted my friend. Gina is so smart and everything she has done in the business world has really been successful. And so I took a big, deep breath and I jumped and I held my friend's hand and, and into the business we, we left. And Gina, for you, your background is in venture capitalism, but what made you think that this was an opportunity to pursue rather than, you know, stay on the skirt or stay on the outside defense line until it all became legal federally? Well, I'm a boring old engineer. And at some point in my career transitioned to venture capital, but with opportunity and disruption, there is a real parallel there. Anytime there's disruption in an industry, opportunity results. And cannabis is the result of that or an example of that. For example, when the internet started, we had great disruption and we had great opportunity. And cannabis is the next wave. It's the green rush here in the U.S. Well, you know, very interesting that you put it that way, because when it comes to other fields or other verticals or other technologies, yes, disruption can actually be the gateway to opportunity. But in medicine, I think, you know, doctor, you would probably agree also that any you know, transformative change in medicine is normally met by the most vehement resistance by the medical community. 
you know, you guys are sometimes your biggest nightmare. And especially when it comes to something as innovative and now as transformative as cannabis truly is, you see it today. You know, uh, you still have a president of the United States who had the audacity when running for office to say that he still thought that cannabis was a gateway drug. You don't have anybody down in Washington, D.C. trying to school him on the fact that which you even brought up yourself. We have an endocannabinoid system. Hello. The same money that actually funded the research into cannabis itself, paid for by the United States government in Israel 30 years ago, identified that endocannabinoid system back then. And we have still fought against it in all medical schools until most recently. So I'm still trying to figure out how, Jenny, you found opportunity in what would be known resistance. Well, the funny thing is, I had never tried cannabis. I got out of school with an engineering degree, had a security clearance, never occurred to me or was allowed to even experience it. And when Leslie brought this opportunity to me, we started the research and realized that in the U.S., all of our research is anecdotal because it's a Schedule One drug. We can't do certified FDA research. We found a number of studies in Israel and Canada that really substantiate some of the properties of cannabis. And we advocate for further research and for cannabis to come off the schedule one. But with that, it's a real opportunity. We see patients every day. We've seen 50,000 patients in the last 12 months. And anecdotally, we can assert that cannabis helps. You know, it's very interesting when you say the research has not been done in the United States. The research was done in Israel. The majority of that, especially Dr. Mishulin's research, was funded by us. So it is our research. And I mean, I think, again, there's close to, I don't know, there's well over 1,200 peer-reviewed study documentation documents out there around the world now. I, I, I don't get tired of people in our industry saying we need to have more research, but I'm sick and tired of hearing the politicians and the naysayers say we need more research when we know for a fact that we have researched this drug now here in the United States alone at the University of Mississippi for well over 60 years. You know, every single year that there's been a budget of the U.S. government, there's been a funding line for research in cannabis. Our government has dispensed cannabis. And if it's a government that is to do no harm, clearly they wouldn't break that law. And it's a government that has given itself its own patent on cannabinoids back as early as 2002. Come on now. I mean, how much more research do we need? You know, doctor, did it not throw you when you started looking into the idea that maybe this plant-based medicine might be helpful, when you found out about something called the endocannabinoid system, did it not anger you that science or that, you know, the med school and the medical community wouldn't even teach this? I was horrified, Montel. I was absolutely horrified and just gobsmacked. There's a great word, gobsmacked, because how how is it possible that there is such an ancient system within all of us on this planet and it was never taught. I learned the circulatory system. I learned the nervous system. I didn't learn the endocannabinoid system. And the fact is, is it is one of the most important systems in our entire body. And it answered a lot of unanswered questions that I had had practicing traditional medicine. Like what is the brain gut connection? What, what is happening there? Well, guess what? Now I get it. And it's just, it's horrifying because there's so many opportunities to prevent disease and create states of wellness. And it, I really would love to see our medical system turn itself on its head and start 
really promoting wellness and health and balance and homeostasis instead of just chasing after disease processes after they've already been established. So yeah, I, I guess I was horrified, angry, dismayed. And now really what Gina and I are super committed to changing that narrative and helping to educate anybody that we come into contact with. That's partly why we wrote the book. And that's partly why we started our cannabis company for women. It's just really important to get the word out. And with enough voices, hopefully the system will actually start to respond. And, you know, you just said you, you started your business and, and basically geared more towards women, though you do have male clients, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, talk a little bit about that that difference between how cannabis can affect women. I know, you know, from the, the standpoint of everything from hormonal imbalance, and we know that, again, the endocannabinoid system is what controls homeostasis in our cells. So therefore, you know, and was something that we fed almost you know, universally until 1937 or really until about 1925, we were feeding this system you know, through, you know, a lot of people don't know that here in the United States, I mean, you know, again, we believe that America was founded on tobacco and cotton, which is a bunch of crap. America was founded on hemp. We know that all our forefathers grew hemp. We know that all of our ships that sailed the oceans sailed with at least a ton of hemp on it because the sailors were eating the hemp because even back in the late 1500s, we recognized the fact that hemp was one of the most protein laden seeds on the planet. Not to mention that, you know, if you go back to look at some maritime history, you'll find that one of the only reasons why sailors could mutiny on board a ship is if they were not given their ration of hemp. A lot of people don't know that. Even in the United States, back in the 1600s, 1700s, you were given a ration of rope because we made the rope out of hemp. You could cut off a little piece of rope. Every person was given a little piece of rope to do what they wanted to. Most guys chewed it. Some of them, you know, boiled it in water. Some of them ate it because we were using, you know, like you go back in time, you know, back in the late 1500s, early 1600s, you know, we were living in a time when life was hard, man. Come on. There was no beds. You know, there was no drinking water. We all walked around drinking, you know, 2.4%, 2.6% alcohol laden water. And, you know, our forefathers and, you know, the, the, the early colonies, it was against the law for you to not grow hemp and guarantee that people were sitting out on that back porch smoking a hemp cigarette that wasn't trying to figure out whether or not it was well below 0.03% THC. So, you know, um, what is what have you found to be the differences in the way that women respond to cannabis products versus men? Yeah, and it's a great question. It turns out that women's reproductive systems are really densely wired with um, the um, receptors and with the presence of anandamide, which is the first endogenous cannabinoid discovered. And so that said, the brain is the only place in the body that has a higher concentration to give you kind of an understanding of what that means. And a lot of women's health is related to menstrual disorders, whether the patients have fibroids or they have chronic pelvic pain or they have endometriosis or inflammatory diseases of all sorts of in shapes and sizes. And so women would come to me continuously complaining of different things and really looking for help. And the help that's out there in the traditional medical world, let's just take endometriosis, is really 
just horrific. It causes women to be basically infertile to get meaningful treatment and doesn't do a great job diminishing their pain. So there's huge opportunities to target women's health in a way that's different from targeting men. Men and women, the sexes actually do respond to cannabis differently. Women actually um, can um, use a smaller amount and get a more augmented effect, but they tend to escalate faster than men do as far as needing higher and higher doses. So the sexes do actually respond to THC in a different way and to the other cannabinoids in a different way. And really the more important thing, Montel, is that when we entered this space, we were horrified at what was being sold to patients. I mean, it's tawdry, it's ugly, it's AK-47, it's pootie tang, it's really ridiculous names that are not attractive or appealing to a 62-year-old. Because Gina and I built this dispensary to appeal to our mothers. We wanted anybody to feel comfortable walking in. We didn't want armed guards or metal detectors or or things that were off-putting. These patients are on their last legs. They are suffering from multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, cancer, chronic disease and chronic inflammation and chronic pain that really would bring you to your knees if you saw what these patients are dealing with. Mm -hmm. And there weren't products that were easy for them to use or understand. And the dosing was ridiculous. It's all about this really, really high THC, because as you know, this industry is really a recreational one that's masquerading as a medical one. And right. so Gina, and also, I, We also have to remember that a lot of people don't know this. I'm just going to throw it out for our listeners to understand is that back in the 60s and early 70s in America, you know, most of the growers and were located in this country up in the Northern California area and Washington State, up in Canada, in Kentucky. A lot of people don't know that. There was a lot of cannabis being grown in Kentucky, more so than even grown in California. But the majority of the people back then were trying their best to breed the other cannabinoids out of the plant. They didn't understand anything, number one, about the, you know, entourage effect. And number two, the fact that You know, uh, they just thought that more THC meant a bigger high, which isn't necessarily true. We know now that for the fact. So go ahead. I'm so sorry. I didn't cut you off. No, it's it's such a good point. I'm so glad you brought it up, Montel, because uh, I think everybody needs to really understand that CBD is the magic. Cannabidiol is the magic. THC is a very potent molecule. And it has a very narrow therapeutic index, which means that too low doesn't work, too much doesn't work, but just right is where you get that really powerful punch. And obviously, things work better in concert with each other. So it's about creating different potencies and different ratios and all those minor cannabinoids and the terpenes and the flavonoids and all of these things inside a cannabis plant that make it work really well. And you're right. We did such a disservice to the plant because Mother Nature knew what she was doing and we really bastardized it, you know, in the search and search for higher and higher THC. So it's it's been a very interesting journey for us. So, so much of what we do is education, but it was so important for us to be able to educate our women because they are the entry to the healthcare system and they're making decisions about their their family's health. And they are making decisions about their spouses or their partner or their children. And so we really felt that they were being ignored. And so you've heard the phrase, happy wife, happy life. I mean, if if your female in the family is not doing the family, not doing well. So we really feel very strongly that when we lift women up, we lift up society. And it was just so important to find and address this issue and create a line of products that speaks to that. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the, the craziest things about this whole journey through cannabis over now space and time, you just brought up the fact that the, the terpenes and flavonoids, I've been talking about terpenes and flavonoids for almost 16, 17 years. And it took this industry this long to finally catch up. The, the idea that CBD could be the holy grail, but I would tell you that as we start to identify more things and more properties of CBG, we start to identify more properties of CBN, we start looking at THCA, the acid and variant versions of these same cannabinoids, we're finding out more and more and more and more and more. That again, you know, when we get to the end of the, the track, we'll go back and recognize that, that even the discussions that we've been having in the last five years about sativa versus indica are just a bunch of crap because the majority of the plants that are out here now are so hybridized that you really can't distinguish one from the other. You might be yeah. able to if you look at them from height or, or, or girth, but that's not necessarily true because their component constituent parts may be equal to the, 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 uh, the opposite of what you think it is. So it's really good. And you also hit something else, doctor, that I really think is just the most important thing that I've been screaming about at the top of my lungs for now a year and a half is the fact that, you know, we spent so much time early on, when I say early on, in the last 10 years, maybe nine years ago, trying to beat the B2B drum, you know, trying to teach other people how to get in the business rather than trying to educate the masses. Education is the most important thing that comes to this whole idea, I think. And, and so what you're doing is is phenomenal. Are you holding seminars? Do you think things like that? Do you have open open house nights for people oh, to come yeah. in? Here? Yeah. And, you know, before COVID, it was standing room only. I have a medical spa that I also work out of and we would hold cannabis education events here as well as having them at the dispensary. And we would giggle because we'd have to put out extra chairs because we knew it was going to be standing room only. Anytime I give a cannabis lecture in any way, shape or form, it is standing room only. And so now I'm doing it over Zoom, which is fun and different and not as fun for me, but it is the state of the state. And I've had physicians. What's cool, Montal? is that when I did this with Gina, what was it, Gina, like four years ago now? Four years ago. Oh my gosh. When I did this, my physician friends and colleagues thought I was insane. And they said, Leslie, you're throwing your career away. You're like, you're, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're obviously smoking too much of your own product or something. But now, funny enough, they're coming to us as patients. They're sending me their loved ones, their own patients. And the coolest part is that they're texting and they're saying, hey, Les, when are you going to do another educational event? I really feel like there's merit to this. My patients are coming in, they're off all their meds somehow, and they look better and their weight is managed and their anxiety is gone. Like, obviously there's something to this. You've got to teach me, when are you going to do your next educational event? So it's spreading. It's a, it's a infection that we keep trying to infect other people with. And uh, we're we're really encouraged by that because, like you said, Montel, education is everything. What what brought you to to Maryland? Why was Maryland the choice of, of location for uh, your dispensary, whereas you could have gone to any number of other states that at least had more of a you know affinity towards cannabis? Well, we're backdoor neighbors, and that's how we became best friends because we're backdoor neighbors, and our children grew up together. And Leslie brought this opportunity to me, never having seen or smoked cannabis. We bid it together and there was no one more surprised than us when we won. 
And it's led us to our book, which is called High Heels, H-E-A-L-S, which is really an education for those of us and other women about cannabis. And our women's line called Placebo, and then the dispensary, which is Greenhouse Wellness. And so we are fully immersed and really shocked and amazed at how much this has helped people. Absolutely. Now, what, what do you think is the most important you know, way cannabis, uh, the, the most important way that you distinguish your dispensary from others? We are so medical, Montel. I mean, we are just ridiculously medical. Our average patient is something like 62 years old. A lot of them are, quote, virgins, which are my favorite. They're so much fun because you can imagine the hilarity of me trying to tell an 83-year-old how to inhale or how to do a vape pen or whatever. It's hysterical. Like the, I mean, these are words and phrases that are coming out of my mouth that you just have to pinch yourself because how is this possible that this is now my life? But we really are known as the place to go. A lot of times patients will start somewhere else and they will get maybe bad advice or have a bad reaction and then they'll come to us to sort of fix it and give them dosing help. And we do get a lot of first timers just so I do consultations all the time by phone and by Zoom and we um, just are known as the place to go because we really educate all of our staff. We kind of treated it like a residency program. So I'm the attending and then we have a bunch of chief residents and interns and medical students and nurses. And so our staff, they're smarter than I am at this point. I mean, I call them up. I'm like, hey, guys, what do we have? It's got THCV and some limonene. Like, what do we have? Like, where's, you know, what do we have with the acid forms right now besides that one tincture? Do we have anything else in right now? And my staff will go and find it immediately. So they're, they're just known as being such a huge resource for our patients. And for that, I am just incredibly grateful. And I know you must be the impetus behind keeping up on all of the new peer-reviewed published studies that are out there, especially as I remember seeing something recently, oh, maybe now it's about three months ago, um, that um, the certain flavonoids had a greater anti-inflammatory effect in the lungs than most of the anti-inflammatory medication that we have in the marketplace right now that could actually be helping during this COVID pandemic. Oh, uh, you, you are speak you. Yes. My, my dear. Yes. We have so much to talk about as far as that goes. And we've, I've actually contributed to a couple of um, cannabis journals. Um, so I get access to things right hot, hot off the press. I get to review things before they're printed. I'm delighted to be in that position. And when we did a little um, Zoom on COVID, imagine our surprise at what this data was showing. But it's interesting because our numbers increased, what, you know, maybe three times during COVID? Yeah. Anxiety. Because of Anxiety. No, I think your numbers are not that different from the, what's going on around the rest of the country. We've kind of proven that cannabis is probably the only, you know, recession proof industry in America. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, cannabis sales have gone through the roof in almost every dispensary there is, especially the fact that now you know, there's more delivery services and people understand how they can contact dispensaries via the you know, internet and have opportunities to pull up, pick up something and keep on going. So, um, yeah, I think um, that has probably been one of the benefits of the whole pandemic for this industry is the fact that now more and more people are consuming. But what bothers me a little bit is that it's almost as if the individuals are stigmatizing it too much themselves. It's almost like I, I've run into this, you know, maybe a year before COVID, there were more people jumping up and down saying, I tried cannabis the first time. Yay. Now all of a sudden, 
You know, they're smoking it every day, every night of the week, but they refuse to tell their friends that they're doing so. What I don't, what is that all about? It's the, I mean, it's the war on drugs, right? This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. I mean, that stuff was, I was very impressionable when I, I can still pull that memory right out of my brain and seeing that TV ad. So, you know, you know, it's, it's, we got to unwind a lot and it's all going to start with education and training and, as patients get firsthand knowledge and secondhand knowledge, and as more and more physicians get their patients coming in, like we're seeing that are doing better and on less pharmaceuticals, that's when we're going to start to change minds and change that stigma. But we have to lead by example. And, you know, Gina's lost some friends over this. Like there are certain people in the world that just cannot open their mind to this being an actual valid form of medication with merit. And it's a depressing reality, but it is what it is. And we can't win everybody's vote, but we are going to lead by example. We're going to show that it's working and our patients are really spreading the word. It's like I said, it's it's like a ripple effect and we really are infecting others with this, which we're delighted with. And Gina, now you're 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 the business brain behind this, but now from a business perspective, you know we we saw the industry like you know took off like a rocket, then all of a sudden there's a crash, then it's taken off again and a little crash. And so right now, when you're trying to expand, um, do you have open doors and open conversations? Uh, are, are some other venture capitalists now starting to think that maybe this is an industry that's here to stay? What's the the temperature in the business community? Well, I think the business community is embracing cannabis as an alternate investment. That being said, it's difficult not being able to bank. I mean, Leslie and I can't get mortgages. My bank tried to cancel me and all my children's college savings accounts when they found out we were in cannabis. We still can't bank as a a place in Maryland. No credit cards, no wires, no checks. I want to help you two real quick. Write it down. Write this down. Kind Financial, K-I-N-D, Financial. It's one of the only solutions in this entire country where you are allowed to bank and use every credit card there is from Amex all the way through. All those credit cards are now part of the system. As a matter of fact, Harborside in California, one of the biggest industries in Northern California, they've signed on. There are several other companies that are signing or dispensaries signing on across the country. So, Write that down and remember, kind of financial. Tell David I sent you. You know, it's funny. People don't realize how difficult it is in this industry. They don't realize the level of regulation. Now, we do see more and more people jumping in as alternate investments. But, for example, if you were to make money in cannabis, Merrill Lynch wouldn't take it or any of the big investment houses because it's a federally illegal business. So it makes it very difficult. And... As a business person, what we find is other individuals in the cannabis space oftentimes aren't aware of the taxation issues. 280E tax, very difficult to contend with and very expensive. And so you find cannabis dispensaries going up and down, some failing because of the lack of knowledge of the finances. Absolutely. And in and, and Maryland, again, Maryland has been a tough state. I've been circling around and looking at Maryland for now. You know, man, close to six years. And, you know, every seems like almost every other year, something somebody files another lawsuit. Are they starting to get their act together in the state of Maryland or what? 
I think so. I mean, we finally have a diversity program. We just awarded four grows and 10 processors that are diverse entities. And Maryland's starting to get on the bandwagon. Um, legalization did not pass this year, so we won't be recreational, but hopefully next year. But the program has become more and more robust. The numbers are growing in Maryland, and we really have a delighted population with regard to cannabis. Do you have to sign up and register as a patient, get a card, that kind of thing in Maryland? That's what's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. And and now we, we did see this last election cycle that, you know, cannabis did want, win nationally. I mean, out of, you know, it doesn't matter who won the presidency, but, you know, when you look at cannabis, five new states came aboard and there's a couple more coming aboard now in this next election cycle. Um, what do you think? I hate to ask it this way, but I mean, what do you think is going to happen nationally? I mean, we're all battling this federal regulation. I don't think that decriminalization helps us at all. I think it helps. I think the Safe Banking Act will really make things change. Yeah, Safe Banking will make it change. And I believe it's in Congress now to be a discussion topic. Who knows if it'll pass without presidential support, but we're optimistic and keeping our fingers crossed because that'll change the regulatory environment, it'll change the rollout, it'll change the adoption, and it will make it safer for everyone. Well, doctor, can you talk a little bit about, you know, some anecdotally about some of the stories of some of the patients that you've actually treated and worked with and, and okay. just give us a little feel for what, what, what your outcomes have been? How much time do you have? I mean, oh, it, I know this now. it's floored me. I mean, I have, I've been a physician for a long time and I have never seen things like this in medicine, things like this don't happen in medicine. So we'll take patient number one, say she was waiting for us to open for weeks and weeks and we were open, but we didn't have any product because it took a long time for this industry to get started in Maryland. And so we promised her that she would be the first person we called when we finally got product in and true to our word, we did, we called her, she came in, she was in uh, the war. She had been in a Humvee accident, had a bunch of hardware in her back, had a fentanyl pump. That's something I'd never seen before. Was on morphine, like 15 milligrams, 15 tablets a day. She was on enough to kill an elephant. And she was miserable. She had no life. She had pinpoint pupils. She could hardly move. She could hardly talk, walk. It was just awful. She had tried everything. All of traditional medicine had failed her. And she knew that cannabis was going to be her exit drug, not her gateway drug. And sure enough, in three months time, she weaned herself off of every single narcotic that she was on. And she is off everything in three months. She walked in, right. She walked in every week and we saw a new human emerging before our eyes. She walked taller, brighter, eyes sharper, mind sharper happier, no more depression, no more suicidal ideation. I, I I mean, I have no words, Montel. That was just patient number one. We have patients who have Parkinson's and they have a tremor so much that they can't sip their coffee in the morning or read their Kindle. And a little bit of THC all of a sudden have their life back. They can eat their breakfast, drink their coffee without spilling it on themselves, read a book. These are simple pleasures that you and I take for granted. It changes life. How about the patient with MS who got rid of her cane? How about the guy that had metastatic 
renal cell carcinoma that had metastasized to his vertebrae in his back, and he had tons of compression fractures, was in a wheelchair, debilitating pain, listing to the side with his Superman pajamas that he wore when I met him. And he had the look of death. He had a look that I recognize. I've seen it many, many times in medicine. We saw him regain the use of his legs, get stronger, get out of that wheelchair, lose his catheter, get his appetite back, have the clarity of mind to dictate heartfelt letters to all of his children to be read and given to them when they reached all of their milestones. That doesn't happen in terminal cancer. I know how that goes. I've never seen such thing. We gave him time. We gave him time that was necessary to live his best life until the cancer unfortunately won. But I mean, I could go on and on, Montel, but it, it is not what a lot of people think it is. I, I absolutely have never been so humbled. I used to bring babies into the world and I have never been so impacted by the practice of medicine as I have been here in the cannabis industry. I mean, you know, it, it almost seems like to me, again, education, 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 but stories like these are the stories that still need to be told. Right. Stories like the ones that you're talking about are the ones that need to be shared. Um, you know, have you ever thought about just, just putting together, you know, just the same way you just ran through four of them that quick to me, but you could put those, those stories together on paper and just put out a book about this, 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 this. I'm not saying, you know, it's secure. I'm telling you, this is what's happened to this person anecdotally. You know, at some point in time, you know, ends of one should be researched as much as, you know, the stories that aren't successful. Um, it's so true. It's so true. That's our book. That's that's the that's high heels. But quite honestly, Montel, there's been so much that's happened since that time. We need to come out with a second one and a third one and maybe even a fourth and a fifth because we have so much more data now about increasing the stories and increasing the knowledge and maybe a different kind of education that we can add into it. But yeah, that's exactly what High Heels is. It was a way to really describe to people in a non-threatening way what this industry actually is from the behind the scenes look from the two working housewives. And uh, one more time, I want, to, I want to go back again, one more time to differentiating between men and women. But what are some of the things that you also see? I want to I would keep nailing this because I want as viewers tune in, I want them to remember that you said this. But some of the specific things and ways that you think cannabis works for women a little differently than men. Well, you want to talk about sex? Yes. OK. I mean, that's what everybody wants to talk about, quite honestly, to the gynecologist in the room. But. Yeah, I mean, I had patients who were coming in for their annual GYN exam with me and they said, hey, my husband wants me to get a pill from you so I will have sex with him. And I'm like, well, sweetheart, that's not exactly how this works. Let's go ahead and talk about the sexual response cycle of a female versus male. And do you like your husband? And, you know, how's your relationship going? It's a, it's a, it's a thing. But now cannabis, if I give them a placebo pen and I say, here, have a puff of this, Funny enough, now they want to have sex. And then when they do have sex, the intensity of the orgasm and the sexual fulfillment and all of that is just off the hook. So now we've got some studies on this and more to come for sure. Stay tuned. But this is an area of obviously particular interest because if we can't have a, ha a happy sex life, then we're not going to have happy couples and we're not going to have happy individuals. So it's a it's now this is our female Viagra, I guess, you know, it's a way of really 
creating a healthy home life for a lot of couples. So a lot of men <laughs> will also be buying this for themselves too. But there is data to, to, to show this now. So we're really excited about seeing where that goes. And we hope hope by fall or winter, we'll release our new product called Smolder, which is exactly for sex for men and women. Yeah, that's excellent. Now, you know, I mean, you're really traveling down almost the same path that was traveled down in Israel, you know, now 10 years ago, because, you know, in some ways I I visited Israel and and was there 2011 I literally went and saw Dr. Mishulam in his laboratory uh, at the Hype Institute and got an opportunity to interview him for about three hours, which was really a, just a mind-blowing experience. I got to tell you, it was uh, one of the best experiences of my life. But back then, Israel was looking at cannabis as a geriatric drug. I mean, the day you turn 70, you could go down to multiple hospitals and show them the license. Boom, they gave you a bag of weed, you know, and and. But the reason why they looked at it that way is because they were realizing how many other medications that were unnecessary medications that some of their people were on, they weren't asking for anymore and they didn't require. So, you know, there must be something to this, you know, anandamide deficiency, 2-AG deficiency. There's got to be something to that endocannabinoid deficiency that's causing some of the other issues that we're dealing with as a society, would you not think? Oh, I absolutely believe in that. The clinical endocannabinoid deficiency, it just explains so much. Yeah, I mean, it's its really, um, it makes sense because as humans have gotten more and more industrialized and we're not outside anymore, we're not in nature anymore, we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not listening to ourselves. If you look at ancient humans, first of all, hemp grew everywhere that a population of humans lived on the outskirts, right? It's been part of our culture as humans forever. And also, there are lots of um, historic sites where where humans would go commune by themselves and meditate. And things like that, like being in nature and meditation, activate the endocannabinoid system and help strengthen it, right? Help to increase our tone of our endocannabinoid system. So I also want to caution everyone, listen, cannabis is not a panacea. It's not cannabis in and of itself. It is one incredibly useful tool in our toolbox, but it's not everything. So obviously we have to talk about a healthy diet and exercise and nature and love and all of these things. But I think it's just so... It's so sad that humans have gotten away from what makes us the most human. And so as a result, we're just grossly deficient in our own endocannabinoid system. And that's why, thank God, cannabis exists as a resource to replenish our supply. I mean, it's the perfect plant. And and I do laugh because who evolved who? Did the plant evolve for us or was it vice versa? It's just, it's a very interesting. Well, when you look back and tell me, you recognize that they have, there has been written, cannabis has been written about in cornucopias since 3000 years ago. So, you know, which did evolve first. And, you know, I was having a conversation just recently with, uh, you know, a company that is, is forming in Africa. And, you know, uh, they he said to me, well, you know, it looks like cannabis was brought to Africa about a thousand years ago. I'm like, ah, excuse me. No. If, you know, if you read and you believe some of the stuff that you read about the fact that the anointing oil that the, Jesus was using when he was in the Middle East, and you look at the fact that, you know, the wise men carried something to um, uh, Mary, you know, uh, it's been around for 2,000 years. So this isn't something that, 
you know, just came up and man developed. I, I wonder what did come first, chicken eggs? <laughs> no, you know, it's it's one of those those interesting questions, but yeah, it's something that we've been using. And you know, we know that animals, other mammals have an endocannabinoid system, and we know that certain dogs and certain animals in the wild seek out that plant when they have any types of ingestion issues or diet issues. They go and eat it. It's very, very, very interesting. And they've been doing that for thousands of years. Yeah. It's that intuitive knowledge that we just have really fallen away from. It's, I like to say that we're rediscovering our ancient knowledge and we're tapping back into it. It's just depressing that we're starting over again, but I'm glad that we are because this is where we're supposed to be. We just need the shackles to be removed. And you had, you had said something about like, as more and more states come on board, what's going to happen federally. And I think the horses are out of the barn, Montel. The horses are out of the barn. You can't go back in there. Right. It's just a matter of time. Uh, I think that unfortunately the pharmaceutical industry is in charge of more than probably people want to know. And it's going to be a really interesting tangled ball of yarn to unwind, but it needs to happen. And it's going to happen. I mean, the people have spoken. But, you know, it's, it's really interesting I, when you say that the pharmaceutical industry that has fought cannabis for so long now wants to be a part of it and thinks that the people are going to trust them. And that's why I think we're going to keep running into this just, you know, stalemate for another four or five years, because as much as big pharma wants to get into this game, they also are the ones that are on record saying that they thought it was a game and it didn't work. Well, they're the ones, they're the reason why it's a schedule one. I mean, right. So, so but now why would I trust you now if you say, well, now we believe that it really like, stop the stupid. Uh, it's somewhere along the way, we're going to have to get together and figure out how, you know, the legacy market and the legacy creators and developers are going to have to become synergistically together with pharma. Big pharma yeah, it, it was a threat to them before and it's a threat to them now. So I... I love your optimism and I do hope that we can find that commonality and move forward intelligently. I, I will remain optimistic with you, Montel. Yeah, I'm trying to be optimistic too. So Gina, now, you know, you've got, you clearly have plans for a greenhouse moving forward. You know, what are you, what are you looking to do over the next couple of years? We hope to expand greenhouse in Maryland. We Our focus right now is to expand placebo throughout the United States. And that means finding um, operators in each of the 50 states, because you can't cross those state lines, to manufacture placebo with our four lines, which is balance to cure anxiety, soothe to cure pain, chronic pain of any variety. Then we also have a weight loss product in development, and finally, Smolder, which is for sex. So hopefully those will be rolling out across the United States here in the next months. And do you, do you have any plans to seek licenses in other states? Because again, since it's now individually state-oriented, you know, oriented, you have to go and get a license in every single individual state. Are you seeking out licenses now? Are you trying to expand? We are. We just want a license in West Virginia. We've been in New Jersey. We hope to partner with other manufacturers to get to those states quickly. And what advice would you give to, you know, from a business perspective to uh, other women who are, you know, first of all, I think your story should be, you guys ought to be told in a movie, but, um, you know, what advice would you give to other women who are thinking about this could be a, a positive option for them when it comes to business? What do you think? 
Well, we wrote High Yields as kind of a love letter to other women. Only 5% of the cannabis industry is run by women, which is kind of astonishing when you think about it. Women and minorities were the forgotten component. And I also believe that women tend to start businesses in levels of comfort. And that's why you see them more in cosmetics or nutraceuticals. Cannabis is a jump. And so our message to other women is have courage, jump in, take the chance and just do it. Good business practice eclipses everything. So we believe in other women. We're happy to support and be there. Have you, uh, you probably haven't heard about it yet, but there's another little thing that you can write down. There's a movie that will come out on 420. It's called The Marijuana Conspiracy, which was a movie that uh, basically told the true story of a Canadian government experiment back in 1972 when they ran an experiment on uh, cannabis and its uh, effects on women. And they were literally started the study because they were trying to come, come up with some outcomes that would make it look like it was the worst thing that any woman should ever do. But the results were not what they were looking for. And the movie's going to be coming out. I just watched it myself. Very, very well done film. Good. We'll look for it. Absolutely. It'll be out on 420, and I think it'll be available on any streaming service thereafter. Um, anything else you want to add? Come and see us oh. at Greenhouse Wellness, and thank you for what you're doing. Yes, oh, Montel, you. thank you for what you're doing. You're raising the bar. We admire what your message has always been. It's so consistent, and I'm just glad that the general public is now a little bit more receptive to the message. Absolutely. And I want you to both to understand that you always have a home here. If you want to come back and tell us about anything new happening or anything on the radar, I'd love to have you back on. And doctor, anytime you want to come on and just share some anecdotal stories and talk a little bit more about research, we can do science from here to eternity. I love science here on the show. I love it. I love it. Thanks. Absolutely. You take care of both of you. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. And make sure you tune into the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.